you today? So good to see you guys. Thanks for being with us in person. Thanks to you who tuned in online. However you're joining us today, we're just so glad that you decided to be a part uh, with us as we continue our current teaching series uh, called Christ the King where we're studying the gospel according to Matthew. Now, every few weeks, for the sake of those who are new, uh, I just like to mention this. Matthew was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. And when he wrote his gospel, what he was aiming to do was to share with us how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to send a great king into the world. And so in this series, we've been learning about King Jesus. And so far, we've covered the king's ancestry, the king's birth, the king's birthplace, the king's herald, the king's requirement, the king's commissioning, and the king's temptation. And that brings us to today, where we're talking about the king's light. So our text today, then, is Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. This is the passage we're studying today. And again, our theme this week is the king's light. Now, light is a pretty helpful tool, isn't it? Isn't it terrible to be in darkness with no light? I mean, it's just wonderful when we have light. And the truth be told, sometimes I wish I had more light as I stepped out in the early morning darkness to go to the gym or to come here to church on Sunday morning. You see, every time I step out, I forget to turn on the front porch light, okay? So I get up and I go to the gym. I'm in shorts. It's 13 degrees outside. I'm freezing, and I always forget to turn the light on. So I close the door, and since I'm leaving my uh, precious family behind, you know, I adjust the Arlo cameras. I lock the main uh, door, and then I do the deadbolt, which I have to do from outside, Now, there's literally scratch marks all over my deadbolt because what I end up doing is I end up stabbing in the darkness, hoping to find it. Every day I wake up thinking, I'm going to find it today. I never do, and I never remember to turn the light on, and so it's just this very frustrating experience. I can't see because it's dark. I can't find the keyhole because it's dark. And so eventually I've got to pull my phone out. I've got to find that flashlight app, and I just got to go ahead and turn it on, and then I can see. And I grab those keys, I stick that in the keyhole, and boom, locked up, off to the gym, off to church. Well, here's the deal. Before Jesus came into the world, the lost were groping around in spiritual darkness, kind of like me in the morning on my front porch. They wanted to find the keyhole to purpose, to peace, to happiness, to joy, and to a sense of security concerning what happens to them when they die. But because they were in the dark, they just couldn't find that keyhole. So when the time was right, God sent the great king that he promised into the world. And when he came, he came not only as a great king, he also came as a great light. And that's what I want to show you today in our passage. So take a look. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Now, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And now here's the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah said, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. 
the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time on, from the time Jesus settled there in Capernaum, he began to preach, saying to the people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What I want to do today is, first I want to explain this passage to you, and once I explain it to you so that you understand it, then I want to switch gears and talk about the significance of this passage for our lives today. So that's an overview of where we're going, and now that I've given it to you, let's jump right in. If you're taking notes, uh, pull them out at this time, grab your pen. I'm going to give you some fill-in-the-blanks along the way so you have some hooks to hang your thoughts on, and it'll just help you to follow the flow of the story a little bit better. Here we go. The first thing that we see in our text today is what we're going to call the risk. The risk. And we see the risk in verse 12. Where Matthew writes, now when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now friends, what you need to understand is this. John the Baptist was arrested for preaching a message of repentance, right? I mean, he confronted Herod Antipas and and he said, hey, you're living in sin and what you need to do is repent. And for preaching this message of repentance, John the Baptist was imprisoned. Now, Jesus came preaching, as we're going to see in just a few short verses, the exact same message as John. Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus' ministry and John's ministry were so closely associated one with the other that when John was arrested for preaching a message of repentance, it posed the risk of Jesus being arrested for doing the same. But friends, not only was there the risk of Jesus prematurely being arrested, there was also the risk of Jesus prematurely being put to death. We learn from John chapter 4, verse 1, that as Jesus' popularity grew, so did the religious leaders' jealousy of Jesus. As it grew, their jealousy grew. Now, it was jealousy that Pilate realized was the reason that they turned Jesus over to him to be crucified. And as Jesus' ministry began to eclipse John the Baptist's, this same jealousy that one day would murder Jesus began to be stirred in the hearts of the religious leaders. Now, here's the deal. Jesus didn't flee like a coward with his tail tucked between his legs from Judea up north into Galilee. No. It actually wasn't even about Jesus. It wasn't even his decision. Jesus was led by God all throughout his life. And here's the deal. God had a predetermined time for Jesus to be arrested and for Jesus to die for the sins of the world. But no one was going to rush God's timetable. Jesus would be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane exactly when God wanted him to be. And Jesus was going to be put to death on that Roman cross exactly when God decided it was his time. Remember what Jesus said throughout his ministry, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. There was a time appointed by God and no one was going to rush it. And that being the case, what did God do When Jesus faced the risk of premature imprisonment and premature death. Well, what God did 
relates to the second thing we see in our text, which is this. Number two, the risk led to the relocation. The risk led to the relocation. In light of the risk, God led Jesus to relocate from the region of Judea in the south to the region of Galilee in the north. And we see this in verse 12 where Matthew writes, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. As God the Holy Spirit had previously, we covered this last week, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, so God led Jesus out of Judea in the south up to Galilee in the north. But here's an interesting thing. When Jesus entered Galilee, he first came to his hometown of Nazareth. And while he was there, he preached a sermon that so offended the people that they took him up a hill in order to throw him off a cliff. Now, you guys know, if you've been here uh, for any length of time, sometimes my preaching offends you. But I'm so thankful that you've never tried to throw me off a cliff as the result, okay? The worst I get is a scathing email, all right? But they tried to throw Jesus off the cliff. Well, here's the deal. Once again, God's timing for Jesus had not yet come. So God allowed Jesus to push through that crowd and to get out of there. And once again, we see God relocating Jesus. God took him first from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. But when he went to Nazareth, which was in Galilee in the north, and they tried to kill him there, once again, we see God relocating him from Nazareth to Capernaum. So Jesus went from Nazareth to Capernaum, again, God leading him the whole way. So we see the relocation from Judea to Galilee and then from Nazareth to Capernaum. And now that you've seen the relocation, let's note the third thing we see in our text, which is the realization. The realization. All of the relocation led to the realization. And what I mean there is the realization of a prophecy being fulfilled. In the midst of all this moving around, it may appear to us that, that Jesus is just haphazardly running from town to town and that there's no rhyme or reason to what's happening in his life. But friends, nothing could be further from the truth. All of this moving around resulted in God providentially positioning Jesus to fulfill an important Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Isaiah that was made about Jesus 700 years before he was even born. And we see this realization in verses 14 to 16, where Matthew records that God relocated Jesus to Capernaum so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Friends, this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. Let me show you how. Matthew here whether you realize it or not, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. Now, let me give you a tip for just reading your Bible every day, okay? When you read your Bible in the New Testament and they quote a verse from the Old Testament, you got to go back to the Old Testament and read what's going on in that area. Matthew wrote to 
Jewish people who lived in the first century who were incredibly familiar with every Old Testament story. These were the stories they were raised on. So Matthew here can just make a quick reference to Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 to 2 and all of his original audience would have immediately understood the context of Isaiah 9. And then what Matthew said would have made sense to them. But you and I, most of us, uh, we're not Jewish. Uh, We don't live 2,000 years ago. We live now. And most of us don't know the book of Isaiah. So here's the deal. We've got to go back to Isaiah chapter 9 and see what's going on. Well, here's the context of Isaiah 9 in a nutshell. God had been telling the nation of Israel, stop sinning. And if you refuse to capitulate to my will and you refuse to give up your sin, I am going to judge you via the mighty Assyrians, a pagan nation that lived to the east of Israel. But of course, the nation of Israel didn't listen. And so in 722 BC, after literally hundreds of years of warnings, God finally sent the mighty Assyrians to come conquer uh, Israel in the north. And they brought destruction, they brought pain, they brought death, and they brought exile to the people living in the region of Galilee. Not just to those living in the territories of Zebulun and Naphtali, but they brought death and destruction and exile to the entire region of Galilee. And here's the deal. The people were despondent. The people were dejected. They lived under the judgment of God because of their sin. And so what they needed was comfort and hope. And so God sends his prophet named Isaiah, and he sends Isaiah to the people with a prophetic message of encouragement and of hope. And Isaiah comes to the people and he basically says this. He says to them, yes, you have been greatly humbled by God because of your sin. But let me tell you something. A day is coming in the future where the region of Galilee, far from being humbled, will be greatly honored. And he speaks of the day that's to come where a light will be sent from God to shine in that land of spiritual darkness. The record in Isaiah of the Galilee of the Gentiles, of the region of Galilee was this. The people there consulted mediums. They consulted those who consulted the dead for guidance. And so Isaiah is saying, you know this region of Galilee that's known to be a spiritually dark place? You know how the people try to find guidance for their life from mediums and spiritists and necromancers? Well, let me tell you, one day God's going to send a light into that land and they can find the guidance they need from him. And friends, long story short, 700 years later, this is exactly what God did in sending Jesus to Capernaum of Galilee. Jesus came to this land of spiritual darkness and he served in that region as God's light. And what he did is through his teaching ministry, he illuminated for them the way they could be saved and the way they could become citizens in his eternal kingdom. What do we read about Jesus' ministry? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, we read this. Jesus went throughout all the region of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. 
In other words, Jesus came to realize Isaiah's prophecy. He came to, so that that prophecy could be fulfilled in his life. And he didn't leave the people of that region in their darkness. No, he illuminated for them the way to be saved. And this is why Matthew applies this prophecy of Isaiah to Jesus. Because in ministering in Galilee, the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled or realized. So friends, that's the realization. And now that you've seen the realization, we got one more point. Here's the fourth and final thing we see in our text before we get to the significance of it. One more thing about the text itself. And the fourth thing we see is what we're going to call the requirement. The requirement. Jesus came preaching, and what did he come preaching? He came preaching about the requirement you needed to meet in order to live forever in his eternal kingdom. Now, friends, here's the deal. Here in the USA, if you don't live here and you want to, as we've been seeing on the news, you can easily slip across the border, and you can just get into the kingdom of the USA. But it's different with God's kingdom, with God's kingdom, you can't slip on in. There's no way to get in if you desire to do so apart from meeting the king's requirement. Now, Jesus' message was the exact same message as John's. We are saved by faith, the proof of which is repentance. We know that we have genuine saving faith when we have a lifestyle that demonstrates the fruit of repentance. And that being the case, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, from the time that Jesus settled in the region of Galilee, Jesus began to preach, and here was his message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, friends, I want you to note that he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand and not in hand. There's a big difference, and you got to understand. The time where Jesus will actually begin ruling over his kingdom will be at the time of his second coming. So Jesus here chooses his words carefully, and he doesn't say repent because the kingdom is in hand. He says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the kingdom of heaven, the time where I will rule and reign over my eternal kingdom that God has appointed me to rule over forever, the time is closer now than it's ever been before. So don't miss out. Prepare your heart, spiritually speaking, so you can be a citizen in this kingdom for all eternity by repenting. So friends, that is the requirement that you have faith in God, the proof of which is a life of repentance. That's the requirement. Okay, I've now explained to you our text but I would be doing you a huge disservice if I just closed in prayer and said, be on your way. God bless you. you know. We're not doing that. Because now that I've explained the text, now we got to get to the significance of it for our lives today. And so that's what we're going to do now. And friends, there's probably a thousand different things that I could say to you today about this passage, but as I've prayed about it and studied it like crazy, there's two things that are just burning in my heart today that I can't wait to share with you. 
Two simple things. First is this. What I want you to understand today is that we live just like Jesus in a land of spiritual darkness. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, okay? But the truth, in a sense, is never bad news. Okay, the truth is something we've got to expose ourselves to the truth. And friends, this is just the reality. We, like Jesus, live in a land of spiritual darkness. The region of Galilee of the Gentiles isn't the only region on earth characterized by spiritual darkness. So is the region you and I live in right here. Let me try to make this come alive to you. George Barna is the founder of the Barna Group, a market research firm specializing in studying the religious beliefs and behaviors of Americans. And they've been doing this since 1984. They are the premier research group of spiritual trends in America. And in studying faith trends in the U.S., what Barna has discovered is that America is getting darker and darker, spiritually speaking. He notes a general reluctance of people to engage in spiritual conversations. He notes an aversion of people to evangelism. And he notes the erosion of religious belief and practice. His research reveals that America is becoming an increasingly secularized nation made up of increasingly secularized cities. And to show this to people, every couple years he does a study to determine which cities in America are most post-Christian. He even breaks it down further into who's post-Christian and who's highly post-Christian. And here's how they do it. They have 16 different criteria that they evaluate and they do these surveys and they interview the people living in these cities across the U.S., and they ask them a series of questions, and here's how it works. If you meet nine, if a city on average meets nine or more of the 16 criteria, they're labeled as post-Christian. But if they meet 13 or more of the 16 criteria, they're labeled as highly post-Christian. So the Barna Group, every couple years, they do this research, and then they post the rankings of the top 100 post-Christian cities. Now we're going to get to the individual cities in just a moment, but let's talk states before we get into cities. Of the 100 rankings, let's deal with just the top 10. Is Maine listed in the top 10? Yep. Is New Hampshire listed in the top 10? Yep. Is Vermont listed in the top 10? Yep. Is Massachusetts listed in the top 10? Yep. Is Connecticut listed in the top 10? Yep. Is Rhode Island listed in the top 10? Once again, the answer is yup. All right? What I want to see, what I want to show you today and what I want you to see is that here in the Northeast, it is one of the most spiritually dark territories in all of the United States. Okay, we're in the top 10 out of a list of 100. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news today, okay? Today I'm going to come across like a pessimist in this point and then an optimist in point two. So hang with me, but here we go. It gets worse than this. It gets worse. Because not only is New England the spiritually darkest part of our country, but the two states that make up our church, Massachusetts and Connecticut, are among the darkest in all of New England. 
with Hartford, Connecticut ranking seventh on the list and with Springfield, Massachusetts ranking first. Let me put it another way for you. Spiritually speaking, we have the seventh darkest city in America 15 minutes south of us and the number one darkest city in America just 10 minutes north of us. Church, what I want you to understand today is this. Just as God put Jesus in the strategic location of Capernaum, which was smack dab in the middle of a very spiritually dark region, so God has placed us in the strategic location of Enfield, which is smack dab between two of the darkest cities in all of America. We're here for such a time as this, just like Esther was in the midst of the Persian Empire and all that was going on back then. Now, in case you think I'm just being dramatic today, let me give you an illustration of just how dark this region has become. Just a month or so ago, one of the public schools right here in Enfield gave out the following assignment to a group of eighth grade students. The students received a worksheet where they were to list their sexual preferences, what they liked and disliked in bed. Welcome to New England. The worksheet they gave uh, had the following instructions. They, they say, hey, when you and a friend order pizza, you have to talk about what toppings you like and dislike, right? And through conversation, you can determine what you both agree on is good and tasty and yummy, right? And then that metaphor, friends, was applied to the students' sexual preferences. I got a picture of the worksheet. Take a look. Now, I know you can't read the text, so let me read it to you. It says this, now that you know, again, this is instruction for eighth graders. Now that you know this metaphor for sex, let's explore your preferences. Draw and color your favorite type of pizza. What's your favorite style of pizza? What's your favorite toppings? What are your pizza no-no's? Now mirror these preferences in relation to sex. Here are some examples. Likes could be cheese, for example, which might correspond to kissing. Conversely, dislikes, you might list olives, and I quote, which might correspond to giving oral. Eighth graders, eighth grade assignment right here in Enfield. Can you guys see why I'm passionate about Christian education? Now, just so you know, we don't sit idly by when stuff like this happens here in our town. Tracy Jarvis, our pastor of community outreach, showed up at the recent Enfield town meeting on behalf of our church to take a stand for morality with one of our men's small groups going with her to show support. And what's crazy is the whole thing made national news. It was covered by NBC Montana, NBC Connecticut, The National Review, The Daily Caller, Fox News, and The New York Post, just to name a few of the news outlets that ended up covering the story. But all of that to say, this is how dark the region is that you and I live in. And friends, God has us here for a purpose. And that leads me to the second and final thing that I want to say to you today. Yes, we live in a region of spiritual darkness, but number two, friends, God has called us to shine in the darkness. We are here to do something about the darkness. And what I want you to understand is that God has put us here in Enfield for the same exact reason God put Jesus in Capernaum. 
so that the light of the gospel can shine in the darkness. And what I want you to understand today is that the number one way that we can bring light to this region of spiritual darkness is by multiplying the number of Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching, disciple-making churches in this region. It's the number one way that we can bring light to the darkness, the number one way. And friends, that's why I'm so committed to starting other New Day Church locations. We are one of those, not the only one, but we are one of those Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching, disciple-making churches. So we need to multiply so that we can multiply the amount of light that exists in the darkness. Now, here's what a lot of Christians do. And, you know, I don't have any responsibility over what other Christians do outside of New Day Church. uh, But I will give an account to God in relation to how I lead New Day. And so let me warn you about doing something that so many Christians do nowadays. There's a lot of Christians out there who are most interested in reaching some foreign country for Jesus over and above the country that God has placed them in. Now, am I knocking missions? Absolutely not. We just highlighted in the offering one of our missions partners. Last year, we gave $180,000 to missions. And this year, we're on track to give $200,000 to missions. We love reaching foreign countries with the gospel. We love bringing the light of Jesus into foreign countries. But with that said, as passionate as we are about foreign missions, we are most passionate about reaching the people who live right here. Right here. Because this is where we're from. And this is where, by God's providence, even if you weren't born here, this is where God has you now. If God wanted you primarily to reach the ends of the earth, maybe he would have had you born there. Or maybe through providence, he would have relocated you there. But friends, he has you here. And so this is where he wants you to reach the most. A lot of people don't understand Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, guess what? The first three cover a span of only 40 miles north to south. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. God said first and foremost, reach the people you live among. And then also... Get to work to bring my light to even the ends of the earth. So friends, we've got to reach the people that are here because these are the people we live among. Jesus grew up in Galilee. And guess where God planted the headquarters of his ministry? In Galilee. I love that like Jesus, I get to use my life to be a light in the same exact region that I grew up in. I'm preaching to you now 20 minutes from where I was born and raised. I'm from here and I desperately want to reach the people of this region for the Lord. And again, it's why I'm so committed to starting New Day Church locations. Now church, the lost in this region, to give you a word picture... They're just like me out on my front porch in the dark in the morning. They're just trying to find that keyhole to happiness. They're trying to find that keyhole to peace. They're trying to find that keyhole to purpose in this life. And they're trying to find that keyhole to how they can feel secure about what happens to them when they die. But friends, like the people of ancient Galilee, they're living in spiritual darkness and they just can't find the hole. 
So what they need is the help of light. And that's why you and I are here on this earth. God could have scooped us up and taken us right up to heaven the moment we got saved, but he didn't because he has a job for us to do. We're not just to be salt. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, which we'll get to in a few weeks, we're also to be light. And what I want you to understand today is that it's our job to partner together to bring the light of the gospel to this region. Now, certainly there's a personal application to this message for each of us as individuals, but we're going to get to that when we get to Matthew 5. So today I want the application to be more corporate, and I want to talk about how we can partner together as a church family to bring the light of the gospel to this region. So here's a couple questions for you. Number one is this, can you serve? Because I want you to just partner with us as a church any way you can. Can you serve? Because the more people we have staffing the ministry, the gospel ministry of this church, the more light we can shine in the darkness. You say, Mike, I'm so sorry, I'm just not able to serve. Hey, no problem, no guilt trip. You can't serve, no worries. Let me ask you question number two. Can you give? The more people we have funding the gospel ministry of this church with their tithes and their offerings, the more people we can reach with the gospel. Friends, we got to start new locations. And I'll tell you right now, if every one of God's children would just tithe, we'd be buying every single one of them with cash. So the number one thing you can do is tithe. Just tithe. All right, but for those of you who are already tithing, the Bible speaks of offerings, our giving above and beyond our tithe. And I just want to throw out some ideas to you today. Nowadays, it's become vogue for businesses to donate a certain percentage of their annual revenue to some charitable cause. Do you know how many business owners we have here at New Day? It's ridiculous. What if our Christian businesses donated 1%, 1% of annual earnings to help start new churches so the light of Jesus can shine in the darkness? Maybe that's something you want to do. For others of you, you have the gift of giving. And I would say, why not exercise that gift here at New Day? We will take what you give and we will use it to start more Jesus-loving, gospel-preaching, disciple-making churches in this region. Many people make this mistake as God blesses them financially. They think, this was given to increase my standard of living. But the Bible teaches this was given to increase our standard of giving. Money is a tool that helps to build the kingdom of God and helps lost people see the light of Jesus so they can live forever in his kingdom. Friends, anytime we invest money, we expect to get a good spiritual return, right? I mean, when we invest money in the stock market, we're looking for a monetary return. When we invest in a Christian ministry, we're looking for a spiritual return. Have we not shown you that any money given to this ministry gets a fantastic spiritual return. Look to your right, look to your left, look in front of you, look behind you. Our parking's at over 100%. We moved into this place at 750. In about a year's time, we grew by almost 400 people. And then during a pandemic, we grew by almost another 300. And I don't say that to, oh, look at us, look at that. All I'm saying is this. When you invest in this ministry, we get a good spiritual return. So if you're investing your money anywhere, why not invest it here? That's what I'm saying. We will use it to start churches so the light of Jesus can shine. 
You say, Mike, I can't serve and I can't give. Hey, no problem. Let me ask you this, especially here in second service. Can you attend first or third? You say, I can't. Well, no problem. But others of you say, I can. That's wonderful. Please do. Second service is where our first-time guests typically show up. And if you'll literally just give up your seat to attend a different service, if you're able to, if you can't, no problem. But if you can, that literally will help us to reach more people. You say, Mike, I attend serve second service, and it's for a reason. I can't switch. Hey, no problem. Then can you begin parking off-site? And can you begin using the shuttle service that we're starting come Easter? You say, shuttle service? What's going on? Well, here's the deal. Right now, we can fit more people into the building than we can in the parking lot. And so right now, our limiting factor of growth is parking. So we turned to the wonderful Calvary Presbyterian Church right down the street, and we said, can we begin leasing some of your parking spots? And they said, yes, because they have a capital C church mentality. It's all about the big church. It's all about the kingdom with them. And so they're leasing us some spots. You say, why are you doing that? Because if we can get more parking, we can fit more people in the building. We can reach more people for Jesus. When your family, when your friends, when they come, they get saved. It's like a clock is just ticking down. It might take a year, but when they begin coming, they end up giving their life to the Lord. So we want to get as many people here as we can so we can lead them to Jesus and show them the light by which they can be saved. So friends, do you see what I'm saying? You can help us by parking offsite. You can help us by serving. You can help us by giving. You can help us by attending uh, first or third service. First has the most room, by the way, just saying. <laughs> Even that's getting full, though, I'm telling you. You say, I can't do any of that. Fine. Then tell people about our church on your socials. Share your faith on your socials. Just do something to point people to the light of Jesus. Real quick, and I'm going to close in prayer. I saw on the news the other day about the war between Russia and Ukraine. And for those of you who have family in Ukraine know this, we, the staff, are praying for your family, praying that God would put a hedge of protection around them. But I saw this. Uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, was talking to the people of his country, and he was saying this to them. If we will work together. And here's the wonderful quote that he shared. He said, this will be a victory of light over darkness. As we work together, this will be a victory of light over darkness. Friends, he couldn't have summarized my sermon better than he did without even realizing it. As we work together, church, this will be a victory of light over darkness. We are here to shine in the darkness. Friends, here's what I'm saying. It's your last fill in the blank. Don't worry about what you can't do. Just focus on what you can. And together, we'll shine the light of the gospel in the darkness for the good of the kingdom and the glory of God. Friends, we live in a land of spiritual darkness. And God is calling us to shine the light of the gospel in this darkness so that is what we're committed to do as a church. And if you're with us and want to commit to partnering with us in this endeavor, I want to invite you to join me in prayer. Would you bow your heads and would you pour out your heart to God as follows? Just say in your heart, Heavenly Father, thank you that like Esther, you've placed me here either by birth or by providence in this region for such a time as this.
And God, I want you to know that I will not shrink back from my calling. I will partner with this church any and every way that I can to shine the light of the gospel throughout this region of spiritual darkness. God, whatever it takes to bring light into the darkness, count me in. I want to be a part. And God, I thank you that just like Jesus, I can count on your providential care to guard me and to keep me until I have fulfilled my purpose in this generation. God, I give you praise. And I pray this prayer in the name of the one who was and is the light of the world. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you and we hope to see you again soon.